coming to you from a cozy little condo high atop old Fort Ward, Atlanta. Welcome, Welcome to The Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts. And a happy Thursday. Gorgeous day today, right? I, I got out with a couple of chicken breasts and some asparagus and went to the grill in the courtyard here at the uh, condo building I live in in uh, Old Fourth Ward, Atlanta. Took the cat out for a walk. It's never long enough for him. Herschel could stay out all day when the weather's nice. Unfortunately, again, I have chicken breasts on the grill and asparagus, which meant he didn't want to just sit there and watch me do that. He wanted to walk around and gnaw on grass clippings and this, that, and the other. So it was a little bit of a tug of war. And yes, he got out of his harness and sent me on a little chase. Anyway, that's been my day so far. How about yours? Uh, I mean, I've done some work too, don't get me wrong, but uh, that was my lunch break. Uh, I thought I'd start the show with something kind of fun. I mean, we always just, you know, dive right into the hot topic of the day, and it's been so contentious lately, and I don't know, my heart's just not in that right now. Um, Well, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm sure I'll get hopped up about something before the end of the show. But I thought we would start with uh, our friends from uh, Wander North Georgia. Uh, WanderNorthGeorgia.com, by the way, and uh, you can follow them on Instagram as well, where they have uh, put out their annual uh sweet 16 their march madness version uh the best north georgia state parks march madness and they've given us um 16 fantastic state parks throughout the north half of georgia they've got them in a bracket and i don't know i thought it'd be kind of fun to spotlight some of these parks some by the way i've never even heard of and y'all i'm a hiker i love to go on a good hike when the weather's nice especially if it's a mountain hike if there are waterfalls thrown in oh Sign me up. It is double jam. Uh, so I thought I'd spotlight some of these uh, some of these parks and see uh, how we felt about the brackets. And listen, some of the number one and number two seeds are just such no brainers. It's it's not even funny. For example, Cloudland Canyon on the west here is the number one seed, and I can't say enough about Cloudland Canyon. If you've never been, if some of you maybe have never even heard of it. It's, it's kind of in the northwest corner of the state. It's not far from Lookout Mountain. In fact, I think it's part of the range. Uh, it's not far from Lookout Mountain. It's about mm, an hour and a half from Atlanta or so. It is so worth the trip. And be ready to take some steps down and to take some steps back up. But if you go on a nice day like today, where we may have had um, some rain a few days ago, This is clutch. I'm telling you why. Because the uh, rivers and creeks that feed into Cloudland Canyon give you gorgeous waterfalls in the canyon. That's hard to beat. Uh, Fort Yargo uh, outside Winder is a nice park. Don't get me wrong. But it's paired against Cloudland Canyon. So it's no go for Yargo. But by the, you know, if you live in the Winder area, by all means, y'all go check that park out. It's gorgeous. Here's the one that's tough. Uh, the one in the eight seed, it's, it's hard to pick between the two. When you go down a step, the four and the five seed, Amicalola Falls and Sweetwater Creek. Sweetwater Creek is kind of like southwest Atlanta, southwest of Atlanta. And uh, it's such a fun place to go, especially when the weather's hot and you need it cooling off. To go take this hike. It's fairly level, uh, not difficult at all. Take your swimsuit with you and some towels. I'm telling you, the water is so cool, so refreshing. Sweetwater Creek is fantastic. I mean, you, you can't go wrong with Amicalola Falls either, though. Well, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a sturdy, steep little walk up, but the view at the top, 
Oh, that's a hard one for me to choose. I, I don't know where to go there. So, uh, but that's typical of a four or five uh, seed, right? Um, when you look at uh, Vogel Vogel State Park up in the mountains, oh, that's one of those that like I've driven by a lot and never really spent more than uh, enough time to just kind of drive around the park. And unfortunately, uh, that's still on the bucket list for me. And then there's James Sloppy Floyd Park, which I'd never heard of before, but found it. It's uh, it's kind of up in that uh, northwest of Rome area, and it's pretty cool. They've got some modern hiking trails and picnicking spots, uh, pedal boat rentals, uh, big fishing lake, and this uh, this gorge looking. Th- it's incredible. It's like this this shelf gorge that looks like a, a worthy trip. See, I I don't know how I'm voting for some of these. Uh, Fort Mountain. I've been to Fort Mountain. That's cool. That's the one that's, uh, uh, where's Fort Mountain? Fort Mountain is just outside of, uh, oh, you're, you're killing, I'm killing myself here. Um, that's the one that's, uh, oh yeah, it's outside of Chatsworth. I know that because there's a cool Mexican restaurant in Chatsworth that I've eaten at after going to Fort Mountain. Fort Mountain is a very cool park. Red Top Mountain, also a cool, uh, little trip. Not far from, uh, say Marietta or, uh, North Atlanta, if you want to make that short little trip uh, up up the way, up seventy five, uh, there are some cool hikes at Red Top Mountain. This is I'm, I'm telling you, this is a fun little thing. Head to wandernorthgeorgia.com or you can uh, check out Wander North Georgia on uh, Instagram and on their uh, link tree. There they've got uh, all these parks that you can decide which one you'd rather go on. Uh, over on the east bracket, uh, Black Rock Mountain versus Mistletoe. Okay, I've been to Mistletoe State Park. Uh, that's in my hometown. I, I've never been to Black Rock. I don't think I've been to Black Rock Mountain State Park. I've been to Mistletoe. It's nice. Don't get me wrong. It's right there along, uh, Clarks Hill Lake. Uh, very nice. Uh, very quiet. But Black Rock Mountain, I, I'm, I feel like I've been there because it's outside of Clayton, Georgia, which is one of my favorite mountain towns. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to have to side against my hometown park, Mistletoe, and say that Black Rock Mountain is worth of uh, worthy of the trip, at least over mistletoe in that bracket. Uh, let's see, you've got uh, the four or five bracket again, a tough one here. You got uh, Tugaloo and Moccasin Creek. You go further down, you've got Unicoi State Park. That's the one that's not that's outside of Helen, right? Oh, love that one. And then uh, Smith Gall Woods. See, this is one of those that I have to write down. Smith Gall Woods. Don't know where that is. Don't know that I've been there. Uh, where is this? This is in uh, White County, Georgia. Um, let's see. Let me thumb through some of the pictures. Oh, we've got rapids. We've got wooden drawbridges. Oh, we've got waterfalls. Oh, yeah. See, I'm going on that. Going to write that one down. But I've been to Unicoi, too, and that's really good. At the bottom of the bracket, the 2-7, uh, I really I feel for Victoria Bryant here. Uh, Victoria Bryant... Uh, State Park, I'm sure, is very nice. Don't know where it is. Let's see. I'm looking Franklin County, Georgia. Uh, I see uh, some still water and some uh, low rapids. Very shaded, very woody. Uh, Franklin County, so up. There's a pond. It looks like we've got... uh, Yeah, very nice. It looks like it would be very nice in the fall. But, y'all, Tallulah Gorge. Tallulah Gorge is another one of those parks that if you haven't been to it before, my God, what are you waiting on? Got to go to Tallulah Gorge. 
I'm going to give the nod to that. Again, that one's not far from uh, Lakemont, Georgia. One of my favorite uh, uh, small hotels, a little, uh, uh, little bed and breakfast there uh, right at Lakemont. That's a fantastic place to go to. Um, and then, of course, it's it's not far from Clayton, Georgia. Again, one of the greatest little mountain towns you'll find in the southeast. Uh, and then, of course, the little gorgeous kind of right there. Between. And then there's the... Uh, there's the, uh, the 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 convenience store with the goats. I forget what that's called, but uh, yeah, Two Little Gorge is going to get the win there. Anyway, see how fun that is to just kind of like discover some new places maybe that you haven't heard of, and I I know I did just myself. Smith Gall and Victoria Bryant. I hadn't heard of those parks. Uh, visit WanderNorthGeorgia.com or follow them on Instagram at WanderNorthGeorgia, and then in their uh, profile, their link tree will send you right to the March Madness thing, and you can play along for yourself and decide which is the best. Uh, North Georgia State Park for a visit. Um, if it's, if I'm not mistaken, they're actually giving away like a $500 gift card for uh, participation in that. I'm trying to remember how that plays out. Anyway, wandernorthgeorgia.com for more information. See how much fun that was? And here I am not hand-wringing about, you know, some uh, contentious or cantankerous or evil uh, last-minute House bill or, or, or Senate bill rammed into the session here. Trust me, there's more of that to come. We've got more of that coming up. But I just thought we'd start with something a little more um, lighthearted, something that maybe you can kind of plan your upcoming weekend around. We're heading into spring weather finally. And this is, to to me, like I said, it's this time of year up until like mid-May, maybe late May. uh, And then, of course, um, September into mid-October, the best times to say, you know what? Weather's going to be nice this weekend. Let's go take a hike. So many of them to do in and around North Georgia. And the folks at Wander North Georgia, who, by the way, have their retail location in Clayton, Georgia, have uh, spotlighted some fantastic places for you to check out. I'll let you guys behind the curtain a little bit. I think this is always good therapy to just kind of like, you know, say what's on your mind. This is the sort of uh, endeavor, these these little Saturday, Sunday jaunts, even sometimes during the weekdays when the schedule would allow, that uh, my ex and I, we used to just you know get in the car and take off. I really miss that. It's one of those things in the divorce that I'm a little pissed that I feel was sort of taken from me. Although it's also my own fault. I've just not gone on my own. And I haven't really found like some like-minded folks who want to go on these sort of excursions uh, as well, which is sort of sad. I got to work on that, right? I had a neighbor who moved into our building like about a year or so ago. And uh, before he got all booed up, uh, we actually did do one of those hikes. It was kind of cool. But uh, again, he got all booed up. So at least me, <laughs> again, sitting here wondering. When is it my turn to uh, get booed up? And and understand now, any potential suitors is going to have to want to take one of these uh, mountain hikes with me at some point in time, occasionally now and then. Oh, yeah, also must love cats. An affinity for Bernie Sanders and a disdain for Donald Trump would be nice as well. I'm not saying they're deal breakers. No, they're deal breakers. <laughs> Y'all would be shocked, honestly, how many times I see uh, a guy on a dating app who, it's one thing to say you're conservative. I mean, okay, whatever. I'm not going to, you know, nitpick with you about that. Uh, in fact, the, uh, the, the the person I was last married to was a conservative when I met him. Not when he left. Uh, anyway, um, I'm not saying that that's a deal breaker, but y'all would be shocked at how many uh, Let's Go Brandon folks that uh, you see on Hinge and Bumble and Tinder and all the other apps. And I mean, I, I realize that they're looking for a reaction when they when they post that, but they also have to know they're extremely limiting their options, right? I mean, come on. Doggone it, would you look at this? I was sitting here talking about taking nice hikes out in the wilderness, checking out North Georgia's fantastic state parks, 
uh, these mountain trails and all of uh, the, the the sweet 16. And, and then we got talking about like not dating somebody who's a MAGA fanatic. Golly, it, it is. I'm sorry. It's a deal break. For me, no. You, you cannot be all about the MTG and think you're going to get with me. That's just, it's a, no, no, that, that will never happen. All right, there's plenty politically to talk about, so I guess we'll just stop having fun and get to that in a little bit. Uh, let's see, the House passed a bill allowing time off for early voting, unpaid time off, but still time off nonetheless. That's a good thing. Uh, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about how, how a, a, a bill to call out anti-Semitism has somehow turned into uh, something anti-Semitic and also anti-Islamic as well. Anyway, I'm going to let Representative Rua Rahman uh, explain this in a tweet thread to you that I'll, uh, I'll uh, follow along for you real quick uh, in just a little bit. And the FBI is targeting Cop City protesters in some curious ways. We'll discuss. More Ron Show on America One Radio after this. Broadcasting five days a week to make common sense common again. This is The Ron Show on America One Radio. So before you go joining a garden club or like an Audubon Society or any sort of uh, environmental organization of any sort, be aware the FBI might be putting you on a watch list. You think I'm being facetious, but there's a 65-year-old former college teacher in Chicago who just wanted to save a park in Southside Chicago, and now she's on an FBI watch list. I'll explain to you next segment with uh, author, uh, journalist Adam Fetterman from Type Investigations, how this correlates with Atlanta Cop City. Real quick, though, I thought we'd uh, share this email we just got minutes ago from the folks at Georgia Equality. We're writing to you today with an update we didn't want to have to share. This afternoon, Governor Brian Kemp signed the dangerous SB 140 into law. This legislation will not only restrict access to life-saving gender-affirming health care for transgender minors, including hormone therapy and surgical procedures, but will also criminalize medical providers for administering gender-affirming care. In response, Executive Director Jeff Graham issued the following statement. We are heartbroken to share that Governor Kemp signed SB 140 into law today. This legislation is a clear attack on the rights of transgender children, their parents, and the medical community in Georgia as a whole. Parents working in collaboration with their medical teams and adhering to standards of care should be able to make decisions regarding their child's health care. In an especially egregious move, legislators, Jody Lott, have chosen to criminalize medical providers for following established standards of care. This threatens an already vulnerable medical system in Georgia by weighing political showmanship over fact-based scientific evidence. Cannot stress that enough. We are grateful, uh, Jeff Graham continues, we are grateful for the hundreds of parents, medical providers, transgender youth, and supporters who showed up at the Capitol over the last few weeks, and the thousands of Georgians from across the state who took action to urge their elected officials to oppose the bill. With nearly 10,000 messages sent to elected officials opposing SB 140, it is clear that this new law is out of line with the majority of Americans on this issue. During a year of unprecedented, uncoordinated national attacks on LGBTQ rights, we are truly heartbroken to see these attacks succeed in Georgia. We know that Georgia is better than that, and that the majority of Georgians stand with us on the right side of history. Most importantly to the transgender and non-binary youth of Georgia, we see you, we love you, and we will never give up fighting for you. 
We will not be moving forward with the Veto SB140 rally planned for next week, but instead we'll be putting our resources towards supporting the existing events leading up to Transgender Day of Visibility. Supporting the leadership of the broader transgender community is extremely important at this time. More information about those events will be shared in the coming days. You know, in general, I try and want to believe in the best in people. And I'm going to tell you something. My uh, former in-laws, my uh, ex-father-in-law is a Pentecostal minister, and his wife, my former mother-in-law, are both devout, religious, evangelical, Christian, Southern folks. And I believe in the best of them. And it wouldn't surprise me one bit if I use them as an example, like the barometer. It wouldn't surprise me at all if they were actually okay with SB 140 passing, despite having a gay son, a gay former son-in-law, a gay grandchild. And there's so many uh, other grandchildren still coming up. Who knows what else might be forthcoming. I believe in the best in them, though, because I happen to believe, and I've seen this put to action, that when they learn from experts on a subject that they may not be as well-versed on, but have passionate beliefs about, their beliefs have evolved over time. So I want to believe the best in those who were fervent supporters of SB 140, at least up until the point that hundreds of medical professionals weighed in, and parents and children who are in the fight for their identity weighed in, and data and science and expertise were presented fivefold, tenfold comparable to anything that proponents of this bill brought forth. The proponents brought forth no anecdotal evidence, no empirical data. One doctor, one doctor who, by the way, she admitted she doesn't treat anyone for gender-affirming care. So why, she's an endocrinologist, but that's really literally the only reason she was there. She had nothing substantive to bring to this conversation. There was even a point where a parent of a trans child pointed out, by the way, when this bill goes into effect on July 1st, my child who is on puberty blockers just has to stop everything at age 11 and wait until age 18 before continuing in his or her process. I say his or her because I don't remember which gender. Um, y'all, that's, that's dangerous stuff. And you have to understand what it's like to be a trans youth who identifies with the gender that their body may not necessarily align with at an integral point in their life. And they're going to try as best they can by wardrobe to represent who they believe themselves to be, regardless of the lack of hormone therapies or any sort of surgical procedures, which, by the way, are so rare under the age of 18 already, it's, it's kind of pointless to even put this into law because, again, standard standards of care are already in place, unnecessary for a bunch of lawyers and real estate developers and God, whatever other profession most Republicans in the General Assembly are. They're not doctors. <laughs> They're not doctors. 
not medical doctors, not doctors of psychology, psychiatry, endocrinology. Anyway, their input just wasn't necessary. They couldn't even present information about the number of surgical procedures taking place under the age of 18 in the state of Georgia. I mean, if, if you can't prove you have a problem, then what's the problem? Let's just call it what it is, transphobia. And I know folks bristle at, oh, I don't like being called homophobic or transphobic. I'm not a bigot. Mm. But you have to understand what the word phobia means. Fear. And if it's not fear of oneself being near someone who's trans, there's at least this fear that the person who is trans might be making the wrong decision. Well, that's why they have parents and doctors weighing in. They certainly don't need Senator Bubba from Cartersville saying, yeah, let me give my two cents too. I'm sorry, nobody asked you. This is more of that, quote, limited government (laughs) that the right wants us to believe we need more of. More Ron Show on America One Radio after this. Broadcasting five days a week to make common sense common again. This is the Ron Show on America One Radio. Adam Fetterman joins us from Type Investigations. Uh, Caught my eye with this article you wrote uh, that uh, wound up on the grist that spotlights the FBI sort of being hyper-scrutinizing of environmental activism, and that's been traced back to Cop City, Atlanta. Adam, thanks for joining me. I appreciate it. That's great to be here. Thanks for having me on. You've you've covered this uh, a great deal, and I remember uh, seeing something you had tweeted earlier today that uh, in, in your time covering environmental uh, activism, it's not unusual that the FBI might be keeping their eye on organizations uh, like uh, the you know the the defend Atlanta Forest folks, but this actually stems with some groups that just get together and meet informally and informatively in places like Chicago. Yeah, I mean, there's a long history, of course, of FBI surveillance of of environmental activists and and other um, protest movements. Um, mm. Of course, going going back decades, uh, but. Part of what's interesting about this story is that the groups the FBI uh, included in this particular file, it's only 28 pages of of documents released under the Freedom of Information Act. Uh, These activist groups are based in Chicago, uh, and they seem to have been lumped together uh, with, you know, quote unquote, anarchist extremists and um, uh, domestic terrorists you know, because of a couple of events held in Chicago with activists who have been campaigning in Atlanta around, um, you know, the the Cop City project and efforts to uh, protect the forest and public park there. So fairly thin um, uh, evidence or cause to open um, what the FBI calls an assessment. But the fact is that they they don't really need much more than that these days, uh, sort of post 9-11 Um, national security environment that we live in gives the FBI great leeway to kind of poke around um, in these uh, circles. It it makes me wonder if there are folks who might be uh, sympathetic to uh, any environmental plight who might be concerned about joining an activist organization simply out of fear of being in an FBI file now. I mean, I think that question often comes up when, when you talk when I talk to activists, however, it rarely is something that deters them from engaging, um, you know, with these groups or or in these particular campaigns. However, you know, you do have to think about what's currently happening in Atlanta, where, um, you know, 
uh, more than three dozen activists have been charged with domestic terrorism under mm. the state's uh, 2017 um, domestic terror law. Now, that is somewhat uh, different from being included in an FBI file because this is a state uh, law and the charges are obviously being brought right. um, in DeKalb County, I believe. But the, the point of that is just to say that the FBI characterization of uh, a, a, a large movement, really, um, as violent extremists can have dangerous implications. But there could be some correlation to that, too, can there not? I mean, can there not be some correlation that has local law enforcement treating these folks differently? I mean, a lot of them were held without bond and for more than a week in jail. And it makes you wonder if this uh, the, the, the labeling of anarchist and domestic terrorist has some implications. Oh, undoubtedly, and I don't want to suggest that it uh, suggest otherwise. And, and I do actually, in the story, I do cite references to FBI involvement in uh, the law enforcement response to the, um, mm-hmm. uh, in, you know, to the forest defenders and encampment there in Atlanta. So clearly, there is FBI involvement, and and you know, we know through past reporting that that this kind of information does get shared through the Department of Homeland Security or potentially other other avenues. So yeah, I mean, there's there's no question that it can um, create sort of an, an environment in which law enforcement is feels justified in sort of characterizing activists in this way. Well, and, and you actually cited a, a former FBI special agent, a guy by the name of Mike German, who, who said this kind of loose language may lead to the mistaken assumption that the categorization has some legal effect. Precisely. You know, and, it, and it's unclear how uh, Atlanta, how how Georgia law enforcement uh, and DeKalb County prosecutors in particular sort of arrived at, at this uh, designation. They have said that it came from a, from a Department of Homeland Security um, uh, assessment, but, you know, previous reporting by Grist, the, the Department of Homeland Security effectively said that they don't uh, designate groups in that way. So it's a, it's a little bit unclear where that language specifically is coming from, but 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 clearly they're using this as a way to try to uh, undermine uh, undermine the, the movement. And you know the the I mean the implications are of course very real if you're being char- if you're mm-hmm. being slapped with these charges, whether they stick or not. Well, and and, and there's also the point that uh, here locally, uh, city officials, uh, local law enforcement, like to point out that most of the folks that are arrested are from outside Metro Atlanta or outside the state of Georgia. There's also rumors about, yeah. uh, you know, some some catch and release for the local folks to make that look that way. But we're also talking about, you know, folks in their late teens, early 20s, by and large. But what, what, I, was, what I was saying earlier about how, you know, the FBI nosing around in local organizations in Chicago might actually keep folks who aren't in that age bracket from wanting to participate. You talked with Jeanette Hoyt, who's a 65-year-old teacher uh, from a, a Chicago college, she founded uh, Save Jackson Park, and and now she she's kind of like she feels like she's on an FBI watch list, right? She's in an FBI file. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it really comes down to what your um, what your uh, threshold is for for sort of being involved in in, in um, uh, campaigns that that may attract uh, FBI interest. Uh, you, you know, I think. Jeanette was also, I didn't include this in the story, but she was very clear that 
you know, in her opinion, FBI interest in, in what they're doing is is sort of um, secondary. What you know, she really emphasized the fact that 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 they are trying to draw attention to uh, an issue on the south side of Chicago with the construction of the Obama Presidential Center and this mm. this uh, related golf course expansion that would destroy some of the only green space left um, in that part of the city. So she, for herself, speaking for herself, she was clearly undeterred by, <laughs> by this uh, uh, development. And isn't, uh, you, you speaking, speaking of that development in and of itself, the Obama Library in Chicago, which is a, you know, a blue city in a blue state, Atlanta, a blue city in a purplish red state, we're not talking about you know hardcore hardline conservative uh, you know thin blue line Republicans that are are, are putting these efforts together. We're, we're looking at environmental activists who are working against Democrats. Uh, indeed, um, and you know, obviously, you know, when it comes to, to law enforcement, you know, I don't, I don't think it matters who is in office. You know, some of the early investigations, FBI investigations into activists campaigning against the Keystone XL pipeline that I wrote about uh, back in uh, 2015, um, you know, were undertaken during the Obama administration. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, this is a, a longstanding sort of, um, I guess you, you might call it a bias by the FBI in terms of the way that they frame um, environmental uh, activists. And I think what's interesting too is, um, you know, the environmental movement ha- has become, uh, you know, I-, I think with, with uh, concern around um, climate change and, and, and the way that pr- the, the sort of nonviolent civil disobedience has emerged around major pipeline protests, you know, the environmental movement has, has gotten larger it, it has, and, you know, more and more people who may have not been involved in, in activism um, are taking part. Mm. And, you know, at the same time, you, you know, you see the FBI kind of continuing to um, um, broaden its own sort of, you know, investigative uh, enterprise. This has parallels to me with the uh, the era of the FBI when the civil rights movement was gaining a foothold and gaining some momentum and starting to see shifts in the American mindset in general and how the FBI was hyper scrutinizing those movements too. Do you see the parallels? Undoubtedly. I mean, it makes you wonder, you know, if the FBI has learned on anything from those, (laughs) from those events, from those dark days, Um, you know, going back to what what's known as the green scare of the the late 90s and, and early 2000s um when environmental uh extremism was you know right up there with sort of al-qaeda as was one of the <laughs> top terror threats in the united states um you know that 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 legacy you know you can see that in 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 these files and and in the way that the FBI and, and Homeland Security and all the way down to state and local law enforcement treat and um, deal with, you know, um, protesters, that, you know, in in Atlanta now and, and also in other cities and other places. I And I know you're, you're more on the environmental end. I play the what about game a little bit with this because I, I feel like that there's that there's a lot more hyper scrutinizing of environmental activism, civil rights activism than there is. With the the MAGA crowd, the January sixth, the insurrectionist type, the militia folks who are you know 
doing their bidding out in the middle of Appalachia. It, it, just, it just feels like there's not enough tension being uh, drawn towards what is the greater domestic terror threat in this country. And it's certainly not people trying to save trees from being chopped down. Hmm. No, that's a very valid point. And, and that is something that Mike German, who I quoted in, in the story and who you met, uh, referenced a minute ago, has um, written about and talked about extensively, the, the sort of uh, FBI's unwillingness to, um, you know, scrutinize uh, white supremacist groups or whatever you want to call them, um, you know, while at the same time going after um, green groups and environmental activists. Mm. Um, Fascinating stuff. Well, I appreciate you uh, spending some time and uh, uh, enjoyed the article. We're going to share that in our show notes today at ronshowatl.com and on all the podcast platforms as well. Adam Fetterman with Type Investigations and uh, also featured at the Grist. And by the way, uh, Type Investigations, are you guys uh, the, the kind of organization that uh, folks can donate to? Yes, Type is a non nonprofit newsroom and I'm always looking for uh, uh, contributors for yeah, sure. Good deal. <laughs> Typeinvestigations.org for that, if you don't mind. Adam, thanks for the time. I appreciate it, buddy. Thanks a lot for having me. That's a fantastic story. And again, one that you're seeing done uh, on the uh, on the periphery here. That's not an NBC News reporter I just spoke to. That's not uh, even a Daily Kos, uh contributor. This guy writes for Type Investigations, also featured at The Grist. And here he is spotlighting the FBI's curious scope at environmental activism loosely with ties to even if, if it's just somebody who's following an Instagram, I mean, my God, I follow Instagram accounts and Twitter accounts for defend the Atlanta force. I'm probably wound up. They could be listening to me right now. Hmm. Well, I mean, when I actually get this on the air and on the podcast platforms, you think they're listening? Hi, hi. I promise you I'm harmless. Just a single gay guy with two cats in Atlanta, Georgia, who likes fresh air and believes that the future should be one with cleaner air and water and less climate change. I promise you I'm harmless. And seriously, the parallels here, they're just unmistakable. Uh, there was an article uh, from uh, Cal Berkeley here not all that long ago that talked about this. In 1967, the FBI quietly unleashed a covert surveillance operation targeting subversive civil rights groups and black leaders, including the Black Panther Party, Martin Luther King Jr., Elijah Muhammad, Malcolm X, and others. Uh, I'll share this article for you as well. Uh, the headline, Discredit, Disrupt, and Destroy. FBI records acquired by the library reveal violent surveillance of black leaders and civil rights organizations. The parallels are just uncanny. And make no mistake, this is the sort of stuff that keeps a 65-year-old lady like Jeanette Hoyt from Chicago, a retired teacher, from getting involved in environmental activism at all. I don't think that this is a mistake. I don't think that the FBI is even upset that this information gets out. I think they want this information to get out. And that's what sort of creeps me out a little bit. So am I contributing? But I want to bring attention to it, too. More Ron Show on America One Radio next. Oh, hey, you're still here. Hey, that's cool. Thanks for sticking around. Not only am I host of The Ron Show, I'm also Ron Roberts, real estate agent slash realtor with EXP Realty. That's right. I help folks buy and sell residential real estate in and around Metro Atlanta. And we've been through a crazy couple of years, have we not? Between COVID, the post-COVID market, the craziness, you could throw an open house on a souped-up tool shed and you would have cars lined around the block to come in and see it and throw an offer well over asking price. Well, those days are no longer a part of us. 
and interest rates are a little higher than they were before. But I must say, it's still a great time to either buy or sell or both real estate, residential real estate in Metro Atlanta. Why buy? I tell tenuous buyers all the time, if you are renting right now, you are paying someone else's retirement accounts your money, and it might as well go to you. The cost of housing in Atlanta is not going to get cheaper. The population is going to continue to grow well into the 2040s, with nearly a million and a half new residents expected to come here. So you better get a house sooner rather than later. And if you can afford to buy an investment property, now if you already own your home, why not buy one nearby you as well and create some additional income that could be your retirement savings and you get to choose one of your new neighbors. Now, if you're thinking about selling, but you're thinking, oh man, I really missed out on that huge market in the past summer or two. Okay, yeah, sure. But the values aren't dropping, so you've still got plenty you've earned just by owning what you're in and need to sell soon. Got questions? Feel free to hit me up. 843-283-0078 or email me ron at rononthereal.com. Georgia MLS 396-720. Website rononthereal.com. That's me, Ron Roberts with EXP Realty. This is The Ron Show on America One Radio. I have to remind myself uh, after days like today that it's a marathon, not a sprint. This isn't uh, the end of the day. There will be setbacks. It just seems like sometimes for every two steps forward, we take three steps back in the state of Georgia. I'm looking at uh, headlines from earlier today throughout the rest of the country. North Carolina, which does have... A Democratic governor, as does Louisiana, inexplicably. Um, North Carolina has a Democratic governor, and their House of Representatives just passed 87 to 24 Medicaid expansion. Governor Roy Cooper will sign that, which means that about 600,000 low-income residents stand to get coverage. I mean, that's incredible. All right, North Carolina. There's been some, you know, issues with your redistricting and uh, your Republican Party is always looking to cheat some other sort of way when it comes to elections. But all right, Medicaid expansion for North Carolina. Georgia can't have nice things. No, we're, we're going to have to spend a lot more money to do a lot less. And then we're going to have uh, crooked land, shady land deals so that our lieutenant governor's dad can make some money so we can uh, build some rural hospitals in defiance of uh, state regulations. <laughs> we, can't, we can't have Medicaid expansion. Can't be helping the icky poors out when we could be instead helping our lieutenant governor's daddy out making some extra coin. There was a time when it was pretty popular to hate the good old boy network. And back then, the good old boy network were conservative Democrats. It's especially at the local and state level. Emphasis on the word conservative, because that's what they were. They still are. They're just not Democrats anymore. But there doesn't seem to be this disdain for the good old boy network like there used to be. And I don't really understand why. Because the good old boy network hasn't changed one bit. If anything, it survived. It adapted. And it flies inexplicably off the radar for a lot of folks in the mainstream, the working class, the middle class, the independent voter, especially in these southern states, that good old boy network just keeps on keeping on and 
does for themselves. I mean, there was this backlash uh, today. I saw a, a thread on uh, Facebook. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution uh, has appointed their new editor-in-chief in, in the first time in the newspaper's 150-some-odd-year history. It's an African-American man. And you know, naturally, as soon as that article gets shared on one of their Facebook pages, I, I want to say it was like a sports, whatever, the AJC shared it. And inexplicably, uh, no, not inexplicably, predictably, some baby boom generation white guy, well, why is this newsworthy? Why has it got to be newsworthy that he's black? I just don't understand why something of a notable first can't just be pointed out without some triggeration from some boomerific white guy. I mean, for the first time ever, the newspaper chose someone other than a white guy, and that just can't be pointed out without that guy. The irony actually is, well, why are they making a big deal about it? Well, why are you making a big deal about it? They're just pointing it out. You're the one making the big deal about it. Just congratulate the guy. There, boom, done. All right, I apologize. I really wanted to go into a uh, Rua Roman uh, tweet thread earlier where she has basically called out where the uh, anti-Semitism bill that was now has sort of been hijacked, or actually that bill was tabled, and now it's been moved towards reviving another bill, SB 144, but somehow the efforts to do this are both anti-Semitic and now anti-Islamic as well. In fact, somebody actually asked, hang on, let me find this audio clip. All right, so let me set this up real quick. Uh, A woman representing the Center for American-Islamic Relations was speaking uh, to a subcommittee panel. (laughs) You got to listen to this question. And so all I'm asking of y'all is to just not take action on this day and allow time for the process to work. Thank you. Excuse me, real quick. Yes, sir. You, you came in. You came and saw me yesterday, and, and you gave me your number. And what 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 organization do you represent? I work with the Council on American Islamic Relations. Okay. Is is it true or not true that the FBI has distanced itself from working with your group because of ties to Hamas? Oh my God. Dear God, that is Senator Randy Robertson. Yep, the Buckhead City Randy Robertson from what well, Catala, Georgia, who just grabs the mic like he's a a, a $9 an hour cashier at an IGA. And then, of course, smears someone from the Center for American Islamic Relations by saying, well, ain't you tied to Hamas? Jackass. Perhaps this would be a good time to say uh, Ramadan Mubarak to those who celebrate. Hey, Georgia, stop electing dipsh** like that. The good old boy network. An absolute f***ing moron. Mm. March is Women's History Month. What a transition, right? And uh, we like to spend a little bit of time on each day's show spotlighting some important, inspiring women on today's date in history. Fanny Farmer, author of famous cookbook, The Boston Cooking School Cookbook, born on this day in 1857. Florence Ellenwood Allen, the first woman to serve on a state Supreme Court and one of the first two women to serve as a U.S. federal judge, born on this day in 1884. And Betty Nesmith Graham, born today in 1924, she invented liquid paper correction fluid, which I believe is also the reason a lot of our report cards after the fact came out on paper other than white paper. I'm just <laughs> All right, that's going to do it for the show today. I really would have liked to have talked more about this uh, anti-Semitic 
uh, bill that's been moved over to another bill. We'll, we'll try and dive deeper in on that tomorrow. Lots more to cover tomorrow as well as the General Assembly session starts drawing to a close. So we'll get back to that tomorrow here on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com. You can always follow the show on all your social media. Uh, I've got all the links there at RonShowATL.com. Past episodes, all the podcast links, depending on your podcast platform of preference, you can find the show there. Again, at RonShowATL.com. Have yourselves a great evening, and I'll try and come back and be in a good mood tomorrow after all the crap that went down today. All right? All right, see you then.